Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. Just a quick reminder that new episodes come out on the 15th and the 30th of each month, with mini episodes and the occasional bonus episode in between. So be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. The movie for this episode is The Burning Bed. It's a 1984 movie that I found on Tubi TV and IMDb Free With Ads streaming services. It stars Farrah Fawcett, Paul Lamott, and Richard Hauser. This was the case that became central to the battered women's movement. It turned the national attention to cases like Francine's, where women were brutalized by their husbands, and to help women like her through a system of life-saving shelters and laying the foundation for a modern awareness of domestic violence. The movie starts with a voiceover and an image of three kids waiting in a car, two of them sleeping. The voice says, It's like I was watching myself. I told the kids to get in the car. I told them to wait. It was March 9, 1977, in Dansville, Michigan. The mom comes out of the house, gets in the car, and the sleeping kids wake. As she starts the car, the upstairs window of the house explodes in flames. She drives away. Firefighters arrive at the scene. Neighbors come out. Some appear to be family as they are trying to get in the house. An older couple comes out and tells the firefighters that they think their boy is in there, their son. Then it cuts to a scene with the mom, Francine Hughes, played by Farrah Fawcett, in jail getting cleaned up and given new clothes as well as bedding for her cell. A court-appointed attorney is introducing himself to her. He tells her he has been told that she has confessed to committing murder, and he needs her to tell him if that is correct. Instead, she tells the attorney that she dreamt about her husband last night, that he was there in jail with her. He had the keys, and he came to her and told her he was sorry, and everything would be all right. She tells the attorney that she loved him. She did. The film now goes back to the summer of 1963. There is a party with dancing in the backyard of someone's house. Francine is there, and she asks her friend if she knows who the cute guy is. Her friend tells her it is Mickey Hughes. Soon, Mickey is chatting Francine up, and they end up dancing together. We see a sweet montage of them dating, teenagers in love. However, Mickey becomes increasingly more persistent about them sleeping together, and Francine tells him she won't until they are married. He says, let's get married. She says, no, I'm too young. It's, it's too soon. But he starts to pressure her into marrying him. The pressure becomes too much, and she calls it off for a while. She tells her friend she wants to finish high school and maybe get a job and get out of here, referring to the small town they live in. Her friend tells her that it sounds like true love to her. Eventually, she does get back together with Mickey and even gives in to sex and then to marriage. They get married and move into Mickey's parents' house. Mickey talks about them getting their own place once he has a steady job. They are still living there a year later, and Mickey hasn't been able to keep a job long enough to make enough money for them to move out. One day, after being out looking for work, he comes home in a foul mood. Francine doesn't notice at first, and she asks him what he thinks of her new outfit. She got it at Kmart for one dollar, she tells him. He tells her to take it off and get him a beer. She tells him to go get it himself. He gets angry and follows her to the back bedroom. He tells her she is making a fool out of him and sassing in front of his family. He grabs for her and tears her clothes in the scuffle. 
She tells him he is crazy. He is still yelling and says, you know how to behave. He then gets apologetic and tells her that he is sorry. She just looks so good and too sexy in that outfit. She explains that she looked good before they got married, so why should that be different now? He tells her he knows that, but he doesn't want all those guys looking at her. We go back to the present day, and Francine is in prison talking to her lawyer. He is pleading with her to help him defend her. She has been denied bail, turned down on a plea bargain, and he doesn't know how to plead her case. He needs her to talk to him about what happened. He shows her a letter from a woman who said her husband had been beating her for years. This woman read about what Francine did and what was happening to her, and this made her realize she had to leave her husband. He tells Francine she's not alone. The movie goes back to the summer of 1964. Mickey has been working and he bought Francine a nice scarf. Francine is thrilled with the gift and immediately wears it. They have a visitor at his parents' house, and while everyone is complimenting the scarf, he is complimenting Francine and tells Mickey she is a fine woman indeed, and he is a lucky man. It was after this visit that Mickey first hit Francine. They started arguing about the attention that the man was paying Francine, but Francine denied that she had any interest in him. Mickey told her she was lying, and he saw Francine looking at the man. Then Mickey slaps her. She leaves that night. Vern, Mickey's dad, takes her to her mom's house. But the next morning, her mom tells her that if she made a hard bed, she has to lay on it. She tells her that women have to put up with men and that men mostly don't mean it. Mickey is jealous, but that's natural, she says. Then she says if there are kids involved, she really has to go back to him. And Francine admits she has been feeling sick in the morning. Sure enough, she is pregnant. They have a little girl named Christy, and when she is six months old, they move into their own modest home a little mobile home type with a cute little yard. Both Mickey and Francine are very happy. Then there is a gathering for a barbecue at their new home. It's all going well, music playing, Francine telling her friend how much she loves being a mother, and Mickey saying someone wants five hamburgers. Then Mickey notices a cut on Francine's hand and asks her where she got it, and when. She tells him yesterday in town. Mickey is upset. Francine tells him she just took their daughter into town because they get lonely out there in the country. Mickey slaps her in front of all their guests. As she is fleeing the room, he tells her, I told you not to go into town without me. Francine's friend follows her into the other room and asks her how she can put up with this. Francine tells her that it's been hard on Mickey since he lost his job. They are a family now. She has to make it work. She tells her that Mickey will be in soon to apologize. And he does, and Francine forgives him. We move on a few years, and they now have two little kids. There is a happy scene during the daytime with Mickey on the floor playing with the kids, and Francine is smiling. Horribly, there is a sad scene later, as night falls, and from outside the house we can hear Mickey and Francine fighting. We see inside the aftermath as Mickey sits in a chair drinking a beer. There is a lamp knocked down and other debris from the fight. Mickey is asking Francine to come into the room and talk to him. She says no. He tells her he wants to say he is sorry. She comes in the room, and Mickey winces looking at her face. It is all battered and swollen on one side. 
We see Francine the next day trying to sign up for welfare, but the clerk tells her that the head of household is the one that needs to sign up. She tells him her kids are hungry. He tells her that if she was separated from her husband, he could sign her up and give her a food order right away. She says her husband told her that he would kill her if she left him. The clerk is saddened when one of the kids takes off her sunglasses and he sees her black eye. The court would protect you, he assures her. She takes the papers from him, but when he tells her that she just needs to pay $7 when she files the forms, she shakes her head. Do you think I would be here if I had $7? He looks at her eye again, and bless this man, he gets her $7 from his own wallet and gives it to her. She goes home that night as usual, but as soon as Mickey is not there, she hurriedly packs and has her friend pick her and the kids up. It's winter of 1970 now, and Francine has given birth to their third child. Mickey's parents come to see her in the hospital. Mickey's mom asks Francine when they are going to get back together. Francine tells her they are divorced. Mom tells her that they have three kids together, and the kids need their dad. Francine tells her mother-in-law that she divorced Mickey for the kids. Mickey's mom tells her Mickey is all straightened out. He's working. He has stayed away because that's what she wanted, but he needs to see his kids. She lets Mickey come over to the house to see the baby. When he does, he tries to get back together with her. She stands firm and says they are divorced, and she doesn't want to go back to that. He leaves in a huff, squealing his tires as he drives away. Then Mickey is in a bad car accident, and Francine rushes to the hospital with the two older kids. She is met by Mickey's parents and brother who tell her it's bad and that Mickey keeps asking for her. The surgeons told them he might not make it, and a special surgeon from Chicago was flown in. When Mickey was finally able to recognize Francine, he started crying. She took his hand and started crying, too. The house next door to Mickey's parents becomes available, and Francine moves into it so she can help with Mickey when he gets out of the hospital. She stands fast, telling her friend that they will remain divorced, but she feels that this is what she needs to do. What would her kids think if she just left their dad when he was like this? Mickey comes home in a wheelchair at first and needs some extra care. But after a month of rest, Mickey is not doing enough to try to walk or do things that the doctor said he should be doing. Francine finally puts her foot down on running over there every time he calls, telling him and his mother that he needs to try. Mickey is walking soon enough after that, and he starts to go over to Francine's house way too often. In fact, he is over there more often than he is not. He tells her it is time that he moves back in with her. When he is done with the crutches, he makes a move on her, but she resists. He tells her, you are mine, and a thousand divorces can't change that. When she refuses to have sex, he asks her if he is not man enough for her anymore. Then he grabs her, pulls her hair, and the kids see this and go running for the grandparents next door. They rush over, and Francine is able to escape. She hides in a closet in Mickey's parents' house, where a police officer finds her. He tells her they have Mickey calm down now, and he says he will not bother her anymore. Francine is sleeping when Mickey comes in the middle of the night. He says he is a little drunk. He tells her he is humbling himself here, saying he is sorry, but he won't do that again. He won't do that no more. Francine says to him, Don't ever hit me in front of my kids again, or in front of no one. Mickey is angry. Your kids? I'll take the kids and go, Francine continues. 
You're not going nowhere, Mickey says. Wherever you went, I would find you, and you know what would happen. Those kids wouldn't have a mother anymore. He asks her if she understands, and she says yes. We go back to present day in jail. Francine's defense attorney is telling her that he hasn't found a single precedent that would support a plea of self-defense. He recommends she plead not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. We are in the spring of 1976 now. Francine is telling us that the next couple of years were just about the best they'd had. Mickey had calmed down a little and had even let her apply to college. The kids getting older had made everything easier. We see Mickey's daughters helping him fix the car, handing him tools. The mail comes and Francine finds out that she got a grant to go to business school. Mickey is not very happy about it. She tells him that she can just go in the mornings and be back by the time the kids get out of school. She can still take care of the kids in the house. She starts school, but as it goes on, Mickey complains more and more about it. She tells us in a voiceover that one night he started in on her and the kids, so she packed the kids in the car, but it wouldn't start. She kept trying and trying to get it to start, and then Mickey came out with the missing part from the engine in his hand. Every time she tried to run away, he would catch her, and things would get worse. We see a scene from one of those times with the kids comforting each other while Mickey's hitting his wife in another room. The kids hear the door slam and then the sound of running outside. They look out the window and see Mickey catch Francine and then haul off and punch her, push her down, and then kick her. He is punching her in the stomach when the police arrive. They pull him off of her. Later, when it is just Mickey's parents and brother, Francine tells them, You have to help us. Your family. The mom says she's right. It's not Mickey's fault, nor Francine's neither. He's not right and hasn't been right since that accident. Francine says he has to be sent somewhere where he will get help. Mickey's dad says, no son of mine is going to a mental ward. The brother throws in his two cents, saying he thinks everyone is being hard on Mickey. Meanwhile, Francine is standing there with an ice pack on her head and her face swelling up. Mickey's dad, Berlin, storms out of the house and does not come back for three weeks. They never discuss committing Mickey again. Francine went to talk to the police, and they told her that since Mickey was on probation, he would be picked up by them and be serving time for violating it. The officer told her he violated probation by assaulting a police officer when they came to the house. He would be automatically picked up because of that, but he couldn't tell her when. She asked if she could fill out a complaint for attempted murder on her, but he told her that he would have to let probation handle it for now, but she could come back if there were any further trouble. She was finally desperate enough to turn up at her mom's house with the kids. She had nowhere else to go, and she couldn't fathom going back to Mickey. But sure enough, Mickey showed up at her mom's house as she was putting the kids to bed. He started banging on the door, shouting, Let me in. I just want my kids. Francine called the police and asked them to please send somebody. She screamed at Mickey through the window to leave and that the police were on their way. Francine's mother asked Francine to give Mickey the kids and tells her that Mickey would not hurt the kids. When Francine doesn't answer, her mom then goes to the door and opens it for Mickey. Mickey takes the kids with him. The next day, Francine tries to find out how she can get her kids back, but none of the places she goes to can help her with that. One Sunday, Mickey and his parents bring the kids by to see Francine. Mickey talks with Francine and tells her that he quit drinking and started going to church. 
He tells her that all the things he has done to her was because of drinking and that he will never take another drink. It'll never happen again, he says. He says if he does take another drink, she can leave. She tells him that she is glad he is doing these things, but she made up her mind and she is not coming back to him. He tells her the kids miss her and they need a mother and father both. She tells him that as soon as she gets a job and gets settled, she is going to come get her kids. He tells her he won't give them back and she says she'll get a lawyer if she has to. Mickey's mom says it's a crying shame she won't come back because Mickey is doing his best. Mickey tries one more time and says, Please, Fran, I love you. It'll be different this time. We go back to present day in prison. Francine is getting dressed to go to court for her trial. The prosecution says you will hear the testimony of Christy Hughes and her brother James Hughes. They will tell you that they observed the fight. They will also tell you that the fight ended, that James Berlin Hughes went to bed in the bedroom, and that somewhere between a half hour to two hours after he went to bed, Francine Hughes told them to put on their coats. That as they were going to the car, they both saw a gas can sitting on the back porch, which they had not seen earlier that day. Shortly after this, Francine came out of the house, got into the car, and started to drive away. After all the evidence has been presented to you, we will ask that you find the defendant guilty as charged. Guilty of premeditated murder. The defense starts with, Now I'm going to ask you to put yourself in the place of Francine Hughes. And when she tells you about what she experienced, about the inhuman situation she found herself in, try your hardest to put yourself in her place. See all the circumstances from her point of view. Francine Hughes is not a cold-blooded killer. When you hear the history of Francine Hughes, when you hear her human situation, you will enter a verdict of not guilty at the conclusion of this case. The defense is cross-examining a police officer who was at the scene of a beating. He says to the officer, In your testimony, you testified Mickey Hughes had made repeated threats to kill Francine and said specifically that it was all over for her. My question to you, officer, is why didn't you take him away? The officer said that Mickey had said the same thing to him, that he was going to kill the police officer, and he didn't try and do that. They were just words. The attorney points out that he had a uniform and gun. Francine was a woman without any defense weapons. Now the prosecution is questioning Mrs. Hughes, Mickey's mom. He asks her which son was Francine married to. My son James, but we called him Mickey, and breaks down crying. He asks her around the time of March 9, 1977, how would she say that Mickey and Francine were getting along? She said she thought everything was just as good as with them as everybody else. She said she knew they had a few problems, just like anybody. When he asks her if she ever saw Mickey hit Francine, she said she didn't. Not ever. She said never had she ever seen any of her sons strike one of their wives. The defense attorney on cross-examination asks, Mrs. Hughes, do you recall your grandchildren telling you that their father was beating up on their mother? She said the children came over a couple of times and said their mommy and daddy were fighting. I see. They didn't say my daddy is beating up on my mommy? She then said, I suppose they have said that. On August 12th of 1972, do you recall a time when the police had to come to your house because your son had repeatedly hit you in the face? Mrs. Hughes replied, I most certainly do not. I don't know where you're getting your information from. He asks her if she recalls that the police had to come to her house because Francine was hiding from Mickey 
after he had been beating on her. She denies this. He asks her if she recalls telling the police her son had hit her repeatedly. She denies this. He asks her if she recalls her son coming to her house and breaking down the door to get to Francine. She denies this. Christy is on the stand next, and the defense attorney asks her what her father was saying to her mother that evening. She tells him that he called her a whore, and she stops herself. The lawyer says, tell me. I'm sorry you have to say this, Christy, but tell us what he said. She says, he called her a bitch and a whore. Now, Christy, is this the first time that you remember your father beat up on your mother? Christy said no. Was it the second time? No. Was it the third time? No. How about the fourth or fifth time? No. How many times did your father beat up on your mother? Christy says it was too many to count. He then asks her, Do you remember your father grabbing your mother by the arms, bending them up behind her back? Do you remember showing that to the police? She says yes. Christy, do you remember telling the police that your father hit her in the face and in the head? She says yes. The lawyer makes a fist and asks her, like this? She says she doesn't know and that usually it's with the back of the hand or his fist or the front of his hand. The attorney says, just any old way, right? She says, right. He asks her if her mother ever tried to get away with her and the other children. She tells him that she tried many times, usually to her other grandmas. She said that her dad would come and threaten to break down the door and would break things. He then asks her what did he say he would do if she tried to leave. Christy said he would kill her. He asked her how many times did he tell her that. Christy said two or three. His last question to her was, How do you feel about your father being gone? When Christy looks sad, she asks her, Do you miss him? She said no. Then defense calls Francine Hughes. The attorney says, Why didn't you leave? She says, At first, I didn't, because feeling about him the way I did, you know, him being such a young man and not being able to work, and I thought, what more could I take away from him? Could I take the kids and leave? And I knew if I did, he would find me. March 9, 1977 wasn't the first time he threatened to kill you. Did you believe those threats? When he first started making them, I didn't, but and she hesitates here and tears up. He started chasing me and trying to run me off the road and things like that. I believed him, and in the last year I had come to believe that sooner or later he would. She went on to say how very afraid she was. It was like he just wanted to possess her. The lawyer asks her to share a story she had told him that was in context of how her kids were most important in the world to her. She told a story about when the kids got a puppy they named Lady. It was really cold, but Mickey wouldn't let the dog inside. Some neighbors gave them an old doghouse, and they fixed it up and put straw in it to keep her warm. Around a year old, she was going to have puppies. When it came time, the dog was acting sick and the puppies wouldn't come out. They asked Mickey if they could go to the veterinarian, but he wouldn't let them. The kids were crying, and then some of the puppies came out dead. The kids begged Mickey to let us bring her inside because it was cold, but he wouldn't, so they tried to sneak her in through the back porch. He found out, and he put her out. She was bleeding. The attorney asked her what happened to the dog. Francine said when she went out later, she was dead. 
the attorney said, so the dog froze to death after giving birth to those puppies. Francine said, yes. The defense attorney gets closer to her and says, now we are going to March 9th, 1977. How did the day start? 5.30 a.m., she got up and went to school. It was a good day there, and she was a little tired when she got home. Mickey was outside telling her that she was late when she got home. She told him it was only five minutes later than usual because she had to give a girl a ride home. He got angry that there wasn't anything good in the bag of groceries she brought home. He asked her what was for dinner, and she told him she got some TV dinners. He pulled her by the hair and told her he didn't like those, and she knew it. He started to throw things around the kitchen, and the youngest daughter started to cry. Mickey yelled at the kids to go outside. He started to argue with her about school, telling her she wasn't going to go there anymore. He started to rip up her notebooks, ripping out pages. Then he moved to her school books, tearing pages from there. She scrambled to get them and told him to leave her alone. He slapped her, which knocked her back, making her hit her head on the wall. Then he started choking her. She said she had been thinking maybe she should have just told him that she would quit school, get him quieted down, and then figure out a way to go back. But something inside her just rose up, and she couldn't. She went outside, and we see her burning the torn-up books and notebooks. When she went back inside, he started punching her. Christy ran next door to her grandparents to call the police. Her defense attorney asks if he was hitting her when the police showed up. No, she said. When he realized they were coming, he went into the living room and sat down. After the police left, she and the kids sat down for dinner. They were trying to be quiet while eating. Mickey was still in the living room. He came into the kitchen then to get a beer. He went up to the table, slapped Francine on the side of the head, and then motioned for the kids to leave. He flipped the table, sending the food all over the floor. He was hitting her and then grabbing her by the hair and pressing her face to the ground. He told her to clean it up. Then when he let her back up, he put his fist up to her face and said, What about school? What about school? She was crying and said, I won't go. After she cleaned up the kitchen, she went up to bed. Mickey wanted to have sex. She knew if she refused, he would start again. The defense lawyer asked her how it made her feel. She said it made her sick. She hated it, worse than she'd ever hated it before. And because he was drunk, it took a long time. After that, she got dressed and told the kids they could come out. The lawyer asked her what was going through her mind at this point. She told him it was hard to describe how she felt. She was thinking about everything, how much he hurt her her whole life. She thought about school, all that work for nothing. Whatever she did, Mickey would knock it down. And then she thought about her kids, that their lives were as terrible as hers. She thought, take them away. They would be gone when Mickey woke up. She went into the garage and got the gas can. She started spreading it around the bed Mickey was in. When she got into the car with the kids, the flames exploded through the windows. The kids started to yell, and she drove off. The lawyer asked her, You waited until Mickey went to sleep, is that right? Yes. And then you took the kids out to the car? Yes. You went and got the gasoline from the garage? Yes. You came back into the house and poured the gasoline around the bed, and you lit a match, and then ran to the car, right? Yes. Okay, the kids were in the car, and they were scared and crying, and you started driving away. 
Francine, what were you doing? Where were you going? I ran for my life. I ran for the life of my kids. Francine, did you premeditate and plan the death of your husband, Mickey Hughes? No. The defense rests. The movie goes on to the jury deliberating. The jury comes back with, not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. And that is where the movie ends. Francine Moran Hughes was born on August 17, 1947 in Stockbridge, Michigan. Her father was a farm worker who was also an abusive alcoholic. Francine left high school at age 16 to marry James Berlin Hughes, whom everyone called Mickey. They had four children. She had been with Mickey for more than 13 years and had been abused by him for just as long when she snapped and set fire to his bed on March 9, 1977 in Dansville, Michigan. Mickey was killed in the fire and the house burned down. Francine was found not guilty by reason of temporary insanity in one of the first cases using battered woman syndrome as a defense. Although she had moved out after their divorce was finalized in April of 1971, Mickey had moved back in with her sometime after the serious car accident that he had been in. The abuse continued and even got worse as time went on after Mickey had recovered. He beat her regularly, broke furniture, and even killed his daughter's kitten. By this point, Francine believed Mickey when he said he would kill her if she ever left again. However, she did obtain her GED when she was able to, and in 1976 enrolled in a secretarial course. On the day of the fire, March 9, 1977, Francine returned home from school to find Mickey drunk and angry. He would not allow her to make food for their four children and told her she needed to quit school, which she refused to agree to, even after Mickey forced her to burn her school books. He was livid she would not agree to quit and began to physically assault her. The police came, but Mickey was not arrested. A police officer did testify in the murder trial that Mickey had warned it was all over for her because she had called the police. Francine tried to make dinner for herself and for the children after the police left, but Mickey swept the food onto the floor. He forced Francine to clean up the food on the floor by bending her arm behind her back and pushing her into it. When it was all cleaned up, he dumped the trash back out of the can and onto the floor and forced her to clean it again. After this, he made Francine cook him dinner, and then he raped her. She waited until he fell into a drunken slumber before moving. I was thinking about all the things that had happened to me, all the times he hurt me, how he had hurt the kids, Francine told People magazine. I stood still for a moment, hesitating, and a voice urged me on. It whispered, do it, do it, do it. Francine told the three children to put on their coats and wait in the car. Her youngest, their fourth child, was at a friend's house. She then poured gasoline around Mickey's bed and lit a match. With her children in the car, Francine drove to the police station where she confessed. Her husband was dead by smoke inhalation before firefighters got there. A former prosecuting attorney named Arjun Gradanis was appointed to represent Hughes in her first-degree murder trial. It was his innocent by reason of temporary insanity defense that won her acquittal. The story went on to become both a book and a TV movie called The Burning Bed. The case became a textbook example of a condition experts dubbed battered woman syndrome.
Francine went on to marry again and became an LPN, a licensed practical nurse. She died in Leeton, Alabama on March 22, 2017 from complications of pneumonia. She was 69 years old. By the time Francine Hughes died in 2017, domestic violence had been recognized as a major national issue. However, even today, 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner, and one in four women and one in seven men have been victims of severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. According to the Partnership Against Domestic Violence, every nine seconds, another woman in the U.S. is beaten. In the U.K., the Refuge.org U.K. lists statistics such as one in three women aged 16 to 59 will experience domestic abuse in their lifetime. Two women a week are killed by a current or former partner in England and Wales alone. Clearly, it's something that still needs to be worked on. If you are experiencing domestic violence, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or chat with a worker on thehotline.org. That's thehotline.org. In the UK, familyhelp.org.uk, that's familyhelp.org.uk, and refuge.org.uk. The number they provide is 0808-2000-247, 0808-2000-247. Almost all of these websites that I have found have a safety exit. It's a rather obvious button that if you click on it, it will shut that website down right away. The main thing that Francine's lawyer had to say that, diff that was different about the movie versus real life was that Francine put up much more resistance than was shown. She left many times and Mickey chased her down. She made quite a few efforts to extricate herself. It's important to know because there was no assistance for her, so she could not leave. His other issue with the film was that the setting included mountains and palm trees not seen in Michigan. A decade later, Congress passed the Violence Against Women Act, which established a national domestic violence hotline, forced all states and jurisdictions to recognize and enforce victim protection orders, and provided funding for domestic violence training for law enforcement officers, among other provisions. Stay tuned after the music for the bonus movie names. The first bonus movie name is Unholy Matrimony. It stars Patrick Duffy, Michael O'Keefe, and Charles Durning. It's a 1988 made-for-TV movie. I found that one on YouTube. It is a drama based on the true story of a police detective's relentless investigation into an insurance fraud involving a woman's murder. He's soon convinced he's hot on the trail of those responsible, a doctor and a minister. But his attempts to prove his suspicions look set to be foiled. And the other one is Down Payment on Murder. It's a 1987 movie starring Connie Selica and Ben Gazzara. Down Payment on Murder is a fact-based TV movie. Connie Selica is a battered woman. For 10 years, she has been the punching bag of real estate agent husband, played with brilliant repugnance by Ben Gazzara. When Connie moves out, Gazzara is convinced that it's because of another man. His twisted ego suffers a further blow when she is given custody of the children and police protection. 
With the help of a security guard with mob connections, Gazzara hires a hitman, G.W. Bailey, to kill his estranged wife. Thank you for listening. Hope you are staying cool and having a great summer. As always, be safe. The sources for today's show can be found in my show notes and are as follows. An article called 420 Years After Burning Bed, Domestic Violence Issue Still Smolders, Mick Album. TheHotline.org, Domestic Violence Support. Francine Hughes Killed Her Abusive Husband and Changed U.S. Views on Domestic Violence, History.com. James Berlin, Mickey Hughes, 1945 to 1977, Find a Grave Memorial. The Burning Bed, A Turning Point in Fight Against Domestic Violence, LansingStateJournal.com. Francine Wilson, domestic abuse victim and subject of TV film The Burning Bed, Dies at 69, Chicago Tribune. Francine Hughes, Wikipedia. Francine Hughes Wilson, 69, domestic violence victim who took action, dies. TheNewYorkTimes.com The Burning Bed, Wikipedia. Burning Bed Murder Case, Defense Attorney Looks Back, WKAR. Francine Hughes Wilson, who inspired The Burning Bed, dies at 69, LansingStateJournal.com The Mother of a Man Killed in an Incident, UPI Archives. Francine Hughes Wilson, whose burning bed became a TV film, dies at 69, The Washington Post. Francine Hughes killed her abusive husband and changed U.S. views on domestic violence history. Statistics, ncadv.org. The Facts, Refuge, Charity, Domestic Violence, Help.